They say repetition is a really good teacher, right? You heard this before, where if, if it's repeated, it becomes important. Well, do what? <laughs> Let me say that again. Repetition is a really good teacher. That's a good one. Well done. Well done. For those not here, that was Renee. So one of the things that I have found as we have taken this long journey through the Gospel of Mark is certain themes have continued to come up over our journey. Things that we saw back in chapters 1 and 2, they continue to pop up in chapter 7, 8, and 9. And they're going to keep popping up in, in chapter 10, 11, 12. It just so happens, too, that Jesus in chapter 8 says something about the need for him to go and be rejected, die, and come back to life. And he says almost the exact same thing in chapter 9, and then he says it again in chapter 10. Even Jesus himself repeats it almost verbatim three times here in the Gospel of Mark. Several weeks ago, several weeks ago, as I was taking a look back at at earlier sermons, trying to draw out themes that I had seen popping up along the way, I noticed this sermon about five months ago, about five months ago, early September, that, that, we, that we walked through. And I put a note uh, in this place on my computer that just said, this sermon one day needs to get preached again. It's, it, it just it had an impact on me. I know it had an impact on some of you. And I just thought it wouldn't be a bad idea just to repeat that sermon. Because most of you probably forgot it. So, not a bad idea to bring it back at some point. I just kind of held it, held it in the queue for the right time. Well, as a church family, we have gone through a lot over the last six to seven weeks. We experienced the passing of someone dear to us, Laura Conover. We just went through the passing of Gene Davis. His funeral is today, uh, this afternoon at 2 o'clock at Askew's Funeral Home. And we know we have several of us that are sick. I know that some, some of you are, are, are sick and you've been walking through a tough sickness and surgeries. I, and we all know, you know, Jesse Spence, someone close to many of you who's been dealing with this cancer uh, and then also heart issues on top of that. And so I just can't, can't, can't get over or can't just bypass the fact that in the life of a church, a church goes through rhythms. And golly, I could get up here and rah-rah and have a really positive message. But sometimes we need to pause, acknowledge where we are, and bring the words of Jesus into suffering and struggle so that we may be encouraged and really have hope to take just another step in the midst of that struggling and that suffering. And so what I want to do is I want to go back to September and I'll walk through a passage that has something to say for our church in a moment like this. A moment where there has been death and there is suffering, but also where there is hope. And so I want to take us back to the 14th message that we, we, we took, that we, we uh, experienced in the Gospel of Mark. It's going to take us back from chapter 9, the end of chapter 9, we're going to now go back to chapter 5. Now I promise you, that next week, we will go into chapter, we will continue into chapter 9 and 10. We will not try to go back through chapter 6, 7, 8, and 9 and extend this thing any longer than it needs to be. So we are literally jumping right back into chapter 5 and then we'll leapfrog back to where we were last week. 
Mark chapter 5. I want to jump there. A message, I think, that has something to say for right where we are as a church family. And maybe something that you need to hear, and I had no idea you were going through it. That's typically how God works. Mark chapter 5. We're going to pick up with verse 21. Verse 21. Here's what we read. This is what Mark records. Then Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake. And a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and lived. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors, had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up from behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized the power had gone out of him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Now, while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, that is, told Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe. Let's just stop there at verse 36. So just stop there at verse 36. And I want you just to consider the story up to this point. So we have a synagogue leader. This is a man of influence. This is a man who would have been very close to God, or at least people thought he was. This is a guy who would have taught hundreds of lessons, most likely, in synagogue week after week after week. A man who would walk through the streets with some religious authority. And yet, at some point, we don't know when, his daughter grew sick. And I imagine, like most sicknesses, it may have just seemed like a, a small infection. Maybe there was a fever didn't seem like much, and yet over some span of time, the sickness grew worse. Now, we don't know how long that was, but there were indications along the way that this was not getting better. I don't know if that was maybe that her temperature like spiked for days. Maybe she wasn't responsive anymore. Maybe she lost movement in her body. Maybe she had something like a Bell's palsy where literally part of her face was paralyzed. We really don't know what, what, what was happening to her. But at some point, this dad looks at his daughter with counselors around him and realizes there's no hope. She's dying. And then all of a sudden, they get word that this Jesus, this is someone they would have heard about. We don't know if Jairus had ever met Jesus. We don't know if he had ever, had ever seen Jesus do a miracle. But we do know that the news of Jesus doing miracles had spread throughout the land. And all of a sudden now, he hears, this dad who thinks he's going to lose his daughter, hears that Jesus 
is coming to town. He's actually showed up. Now, we don't know how far away Jairus lived. We don't know how long the walk took to get to Jesus. We don't even know if he ran to Jesus or just had a stroll or, you know, some type of walk because he had a crowd with him. We don't know any of those details. But as a dad, I'd be moving pretty quick. I'd be moving pretty quick. And it doesn't matter how far the distance, I would have moved quick so that I could get to Jesus. Because for Jairus, this was his last hope. I don't know if you've ever been in that moment where, like, you only have what you think is, like, your last hope. Sometimes the emergency room or the 911 call or the fireman showing up, like, that's your last, like, that's your last hope. And you know what it feels like when they arrive or you eventually get back to see a doctor in the emergency room. There's that moment where you think it might get fixed. Like, there's some hope. Like, someone who knows what they're doing is here. And I just, I think that that, that's what Jairus was experiencing in that moment when he came up to Jesus and he begs, I need you to heal my daughter. Please heal my daughter. Now, what we don't know is we don't know like the time frame between the request and that is, that happens in verse 23. And then in verse 24, we hear that Jesus begins to walk with him. So we're like, we don't know exactly how much time, how much distance is between the two. But at some point, right after, the, after that request, Jesus says he will go. And man, what a relief that would have been to Jairus. I mean, you've probably had the feeling when like, you go in, you don't know what's wrong with you or someone you love, and then the doctor diagnoses the problem and says there's medicine, and you can't wait until that bag of medicine gets into your room because you know this is probably going to fix things. And there's like this weight that comes off your shoulders. And so Jesus begins to walk. Now, I think in that moment, Jairus is probably thinking something like, could we run? Maybe we could run. Jesus, could we get a trot? Like, I'll jog with you. Because his daughter is dying. He doesn't want to wait. He wants to get there as fast as he can. And so they're walking, and they're walking, and they're walking. We don't know how long they walk. But at some point, walking, as they walk, a crowd comes around them. Now, if you're Jairus... And your daughter's dying, and yet you still have some hope because now the healer's walking with you? You don't want a crowd around the healer. You want the healer. Like, the crowd is slowing the healer up. Let's keep walking. So you're actually starting to get frustrated along the way. And then it happens. Jesus stops. Jesus stops. What would that be like to see the doctor coming down the hallway with the medicine, and then he stops to see another patient and doesn't come out for minutes, hours. I mean, you don't know. He's disappeared. So the crowd's around him. Jesus stops. He can't move anymore. You, Mark, doesn't, Mark doesn't tell us what's going on with Jairus. We now have this, this lady highlighted, this lady who has suffered from bleeding for 12 years. But at some point, she touches him. Then... There's some, some time frame between sh- sh- this woman touching Jesus and then Jesus calling out for the woman. And we don't know how long Jesus calls out. We just don't know. We don't know how long it took for this woman to say something to Jesus. We know she's probably afraid, so she's probably holding back before she ever says, it was me. So it could have been minutes, 15, 20, 30 minutes. We don't know. But can you imagine... In that, in that moment, what it felt like to be Jairus. 
If you had a vocabulary of inappropriate words, that might have been a moment you'd be thinking or saying them. Because your daughter is dying. And all of a sudden, some selfish woman comes up and stops the parade. I want us to, be, I want us to feel this. this. This is the point of reviewing this long story here. Jarius needed Jesus at his home, and all of a sudden, everyone stopped, and this woman, this woman has stopped the show. And so what happens eventually is the woman says, it was me. They have a conversation, and then Jesus keeps talking. And now we don't know how much time went between, you know, how much time elapsed for all of this. But it was enough that at some point, these people from Jairus's house come and say, don't worry, you don't need to bug the teacher, the healer anymore. Your daughter died. Wow, your daughter's dead. And I imagine there was a lot going on with Jairus there, but I can think of at least two things be going through my head. Shock, I can't believe it, my daughter's dead. And anger that it could have been avoided if this silly crowd wouldn't have stopped Jesus, particularly this selfish woman. I think those are a couple things going through his mind. And so all of that's happening right there at the end of verse 36. I think that's all going on here. And then Jesus says, Jesus says to Jairus, the most, the most silly, crazy thing anyone could say, don't you worry, don't you worry. It's okay. Just believe. Okay, here's what I think is going on. I want to put up this next slide. I think Jarius is staring into space. I think he's paralyzed. I think he's at the edge of hopelessness. But at that point, Jesus breaks in with an invitation to fear not and believe. Ah, oh, that's a crazy invitation to a dad who just lost his daughter. And so at that point, Jarius has like these two decisions. There at the end of verse 36... Jarius has these two decisions right there in front of him. They're pretty simple. Let's put those up. Let's put the two decisions up. He could either choose to leave Jesus and go home alone. Just leave Jesus. Or he could follow Jesus and keep walking with him. Like those are right, like they're right in front of him. Like those are not religious options. Those aren't super spiritual options. Like they're right in front of him because there's a person named Jesus right there speaking words an invitation to keep coming, to believe. So this is like real in his life to make a decision on how to move with Jesus, that person in front of him. And so Mark then, with all this space between verse 36, which we don't know how long, we don't know the time elapsed between verse 36 and 37, but something happens between those verses. Let's pick up verse 37. Verse 37, for the rest of the story. Verse 37, we pick up, He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying out, wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child's not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother, that tells us that Jairus kept walking with him, by the way. Took the father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talithia kum, 
which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Wow. Wow. Somewhere between verse 36 and 37, as Jairus stood at the edge of hopelessness, he decided that he would believe in Jesus. And what that meant for Jairus is he literally would take one more step and it would be with Jesus. Now, he could have walked away, but instead he walked with Jesus. And I think that's really important for us to see. Because I think in a world like ours, and with some things going on in our church family, we have, and some of you are right up against the edge of hopelessness. You're, like, you're right there at verse 36, and you're not exactly sure how it's all going to work out. So you're going to, you have to make this decision of what that looks like to move into verse 37 and walk with Jesus. So there's some things I want us to see. So I'm going to pull out some lessons here. I'm not going to bullet point these. I just, just want to walk away with some lessons out of the story that I have something to say to us. So we're going to take a look, I think, first at what these lessons are. And there's some other Bible passages that are important for us to see. Because the theme isn't just in Mark. It rolls through other parts of the New Testament and Old. And then I think we make some application. And I think we can walk away with a next step. That's something that we can do today. And we can do this week. So let's just pull on some of those lessons. I think something that we can see first is that faith is personal. Faith is personal. This is really important for us to get. Because in a world like ours where we like ideas and we like these big abstract themes and we think of those as religion and we think of those as spiritual, this is usually how we talk, right? Like, you know, I'm a spiritual person, but I'm not very religious. And we use these big words, big categories. That's, what, that's not, we don't see that in this story. We don't ever see that when it comes to, to Jesus, the anointed one. Those aren't the words we're using. Those aren't the categories that the Bible's using. Here's, what I, here's how I would explain it. Let's take a look. This next slide. When Jesus said, just believe, he was saying, trust me. True faith is not rooted in abstract ideas. It's rooted in a person. This, this whole idea of believing is never a matter of do you believe in Christianity or not. It has always been, and it still is, what is your relationship with Jesus? What direction are you moving in relationship to Jesus, like a person? And so I really all, I want to constantly challenge this idea that we will be judged based on our relationship to religion or spirituality. It's never that. It is always your relationship to Jesus, the anointed one in history now reigning over the world, Jesus. And, and so it's person. It's person. And what I love is that the Apostle Paul knew this. The Apostle Paul had access to all kinds of political ideas, economic theories, and religious systems in his day. But when he gets down to it as a student of Jesus, do you know how he talks? He talks about having a relationship with Jesus. He talks about being comforted by Jesus. So Paul himself, he faced verse 36 moments. And he had to live in between verse 36 and 37 where he came up to the edge of hopelessness and he didn't know exactly what was going to happen. And yet he kept moving into verse 37 with Jesus. And we got these, like, these passages in some of his letters. I just want to read one of them. Just one of them. 
2 Corinthians 1. 2 Corinthians 1. Watch this. Paul up against the edge of hopelessness. And then watch what he does. I think this is that in between verse 36 and 37. Here's what he writes. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who, that's personal, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves are receiving from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. Pick up verse 10. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again on him. You see all this personal language. On him, we have set our hope that, we will continue, that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. And we know Paul lived a very difficult life, particularly as a student of Jesus, as he preached the word into the Roman Empire. And here Paul says, I got comfort. I didn't get comfort from religion. I didn't get comfort from some spirituality. I got comfort from God through his son, Jesus. And my hope was set on a person, not an idea, not a book, not a podcast, not a blog, not some famous person in the Roman world, but in Jesus. So we've got to just keep that in front of us. And remember that Jairus was looking at a person, not an idea. Let's take another lesson out of the passage I think that is that, that, that faith grows in real life. I don't want to throw a Bible passage along this one. I just want to like make an observation that we, 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 we should see just because it's right in front of us, but it's kind of behind the scenes. Remember that Jairus would have taught hundreds of lessons in synagogue over his life. And do you know, do you know where, where he learned to trust? He learned to trust on the edge of hopelessness, on the edge of hopelessness. That's where his faith grew. That's where his faith grew. I think that's really important. You can see that on the slide behind me, this, this principle that Jairus, who would have taught hundreds of lessons in synagogue, he didn't learn it through all his teaching. He learned it through real life, trusting Jesus at the edge of hopelessness. It's really important for us to get because you can't study your way into faith. It will help you, but my, it will come in real life. Real life. And remember, God is with you in the life you actually have right now. Not the one you had yesterday or the one you will have tomorrow or the one you think you want to have 10 years from now. God is with you here, the life you actually have. And so that's where Jairus's faith was growing. Pull another lesson, and that is that faith grows most often in suffering. Now, can we be honest? Sure we can. I'm the only one talking, and I'll be honest. Is this really stinks? Like, this principle pulled out of the story, this reality really stinks. I really wish faith could grow in some other way. Like, I wish faith could grow by going to King's Dominion or going to the movies. Like, that would be really awesome if that was the primary way faith grew, was by, like, having lots of pleasure. That would be awesome. Now, surely faith can grow in these moments. But usually, in lived experience... It's in your suffering where you find that God is most faithful. That's typically where most of us grow in faith. It's where, it's where Jairus is growing. And the early Christians experienced this too. Like this isn't just like a 21st century thing. Take a look at what James, the brother of Jesus, wrote one time. He wrote this in his letter, chapter 1, verse 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, Whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, 
Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Those last few words in that verse is what most of the world is pursuing in some way. To feel complete, to feel whole, to lack nothing. But James here gives us a different path than most people want to take. Now, it doesn't mean you go pursue suffering. But it does mean that when it comes, walk into it with patience and trust. Because God will not leave you. He will build your perseverance. And out of that, God will complete you. Uh, This is something that's right there in that story of Jairus. It's when he walked through his suffering that he grew in faith. And it was in his suffering. Now, the last thing I want to make mention of is that God, God grows our faith. So, like, faith comes from God. So, the order of the story really matters here. So, just pay attention. I just want to make note of the order of the story. So, verse 36, verse 36 are the words of Jesus. Verse 37, where Jairus continues to walk with Jesus, comes after the words of Jesus. The order really matters here. Faith comes from hearing the word of God. God's word gives you and me a different story than the world gives us. It gives us a story of hope. And when we hear God's word, when we hear a word from a different world, from a new creation, faith grows. And so... We just don't like manufacture faith. It's not like I'm going to try really hard today and I'm going to have like a lot of faith and I'm going to be really awesome so by the time I'm in bed, I'm going to be like super faith man because I have tried really hard all day. Like that's not how this works. Faith comes from God. And in this story, Jesus spoke and his words did something injurious. So Paul picks up on this idea and he's really picking up from an Old Testament uh, passage here. So let's take a look, Romans 10, where he draws this principle out. He says this, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? And that is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. So faith comes from hearing That is hearing the good news about Christ. So you get the hearing, you get the word, and then faith grows. So you don't just manufacture this, okay? These are some things I think we pull out of that story. When one man named Jairus came up to the edge of hopelessness, came right up against Mark chapter 5, verse 36, and yet decided to keep walking with Jesus, and in verse 37 we see that he took another step with Jesus all the way to his house, and his daughter came back to life. So I think it all has some application for us. I think it had application for us back in September. I think it has application for us today. And don't be surprised if this sermon comes back at some point in the future again, because most of us are usually living at some point between verse 36 and 37. So here's the application. I just want to kind of drive us to a couple questions. What will you do when you're between verses 36 and 37? What will you do when you're at the edge of hopelessness, looking at Jesus as he invites you to fear not and believe? You and I live in a world where we face the edge of hopelessness more often than not. And in those moments, 
Jesus stands at our side and invites us to fear not and believe. And you and I need to decide, will we walk with Jesus the next step, or will we leave him and go home? I think, I think you can't do any better than walking with Jesus. And so that's, what, that's where I want the application to land for you and for me. Is that in the midst of death, you take another step with Jesus. In the midst of a terminal diagnosis, you keep walking with Jesus. In the midst of a broken relationship where everything is falling apart and you're mad and you stand at the edge of hopelessness, you keep walking with Jesus. Wherever you find yourself at verse 36, and I think it as a church family we have sat there too, we keep walking with Jesus. We are not, we are not in the business of growing into a megachurch for megachurch's sake. We want to be the kind of people that when we hit verse 36, we move into verse 37. That's the kind of people I want us to become. It's the kind of person I want to become. And so we, start, we just train in that direction. We train in that direction. Now, I think that really gets down into your life because you know what it feels like to be at the edge of hopelessness or be scared or be sick or hurt. So let me just bring this to a next step. Like, here's something we can do. Let me go generic, a bit generic, and then let me just get it a little more specific, okay? Those of you that are on social media and you see our little images, right, that we put up every week of the next step with some really amazing graphic and font, you know, real creative, okay, which, by the way, you can share that anytime. We, we do not stop you from sharing that on social media. Feel free to share it. But this is the generic one you'll see online, and then I want to go a little more specific. So here's the one you'll see this week. This next step, this is the challenge, I think, for us. Pray, pray this each day, Jesus, you are my shepherd, I have what I need. Now, you may not feel that, like you say that tomorrow morning as you pray, Jesus, you are my shepherd, I have what I need. You don't have to feel it. Get the words out. Let that be a part of your training. Let that be a part of it. Like it's, like, it's like a baseball player taking ground balls. You don't feel good doing that. But man, you're going to be glad you did it when the ball comes to you in the top of the ninth and you want to win the game and your shortstop gets the ball and doesn't let it go between his legs. That's the kind of thing we're doing. We're training. So you pray that each day. Now, let me go a little more specific. I think we can actually take Psalm 23, verses 1 through 4, and personalize it. It's a great thing to do, and you can all do it. If you have access to a Bible, you can do this. All you need to do is change around some pronouns. Went ahead and just did it for us. This is a great prayer to pray. You just open up your Bible, Psalm 23, change out the pronouns, and make this your prayer. It's a good prayer. Jesus, you are my shepherd. I have what I need. You let me lie down in green pastures. You lead me beside quiet waters. You renew my life. You lead me along the right paths for his name's sake. So that would be your, uh, back to God. I should have changed that pronoun. Even when I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That's a great prayer to have in front of you when you come up against verse 36 and you need to make a decision on the direction to go. You walk into verse 37 with this prayer on your lips. So just let that be a next step this week. Let that be a next step. I think as a church, we're making these moves. But there's a lot of sadness, no doubt. 
But my, there's a lot of hope. Because in the end, all the students, all students of Jesus, all students of Jesus will be part of the new creation. And that's really good news. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Again, thank you that Mark, in all the inspiration from the Holy Spirit, put this gospel together like this. Thank you for its creativity. Thank you for its intelligence. And we just are asking you help us to move to Jesus, that we would take a next step with him as we, as we face the edge of hopelessness. Whatever that might look like, sickness, recent death, terminal diagnosis, whatever it is, would you just help us move right into verse 37 as we walk with your son Jesus and know that there is nothing to fear. We can trust him. We pray this under his name, under his authority as our good shepherd. And together we say, amen.